Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland. He's Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freightwaves. Welcome to Freightonomics, where we discuss the freight market and combine it with some macroeconomic flavor to give you the information you need to go about your day in transportation, logistics, or whatever sort of business that you are in involving uh, freight and economics. So, Anthony Smith, we're back again. We're back. And we're at, at the, the desk. desk. We're at the desk. We're at the desk. This is actually my this is actually my request. I like the desk. I feel I feel comfortable at this desk. We're getting rid of it soon. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> we can't kick this show off without first thanking some of our sponsor and our sponsor this show. I think throughout the month is Amazon Freight, and we're so thankful for our sponsor, Amazon Freight, who you know you. <laughs> sorry. Can I throw this shoes again? Two weeks ago. Yeah, here we go again. Get him yeah, some water. I got this. <laughs> Amazon Freight, who knows you need more than any other than another truckload service provider, you need a partner who can help you navigate the world of logistics and plan for the future. Amazon Freight is helping shippers move their freight simply and reliably, while backed by the innovation and expertise that's in the DNA of Amazon. Whether you have a few truckloads to fill or thousands to move, Amazon Freight is your opportunity to put Amazon to work for you. Visit freight.amazon.com to get started. Yeah, and Amazon is obviously like busy, <laughs> busy, busy, so. busy. They're going to be obviously a huge part of the freight economy moving forward. Uh, you know, and Anthony, I'm glad, you know, we do have a bottle of water for you if you need this yeah, week. Yeah, that was rough last I mean, week. But we have the best team in the business and they covered well for me. I yeah. appreciate them. Yeah. So, you know, Amazon in the news uh, a little bit here in a minute. But first, let's get to our meme of the day. <laughs> what do we have? We have a meme of the day this week. And I think, you know, I've, I've let off the last couple of weeks just because I like memes. I think everybody likes memes. Uh, the Willy Wonka meme is probably one of my favorites. So you want to use memes to teach economics. Tell me more <laughs> about how clever you are. I will, Willy Wonka. I will. <laughs> I, I don't know. So... We have show notes. We prep for these things uh -huh. typically, you know. Yeah. For some reason, I completely miss this meme. How do you miss this I meme? I miss this meme. As, do you like the meme? I, I, mean, I enjoy you, it. Yeah. yeah of I, course yeah. you do. You I would usually think they're smarter than they are. Well, I would teach everything in memes if I could. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're a, valuable, a, a meaningful way to convey information in yeah. a short, succinct way. And we are effectively teaching people some form of economics uh, every week. Uh, but let's get to our stories of the day. Yes, that we have gone through our meme of the day. So, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, our show today is built around some of these ongoing stories. We wanted to break it down a little bit in more detail because normally we spend about five to 10 minutes talking about some of the topical stories of the day. We felt like these are probably some of the more relevant stories that are going to continue to be news uh, that need some extra explanation and coverage and exposure. Uh, you know, so we're going to break this show down into some of the main stories that have been having a little bit of stickiness in the headlines ongoing to help some of our audience, you know, have a little deeper understanding and therefore, well, a little bit more information uh, to see what this actually means and relevance to the rest of the freight market. And the first one up, this has been, you know, I don't want to say that it's been super sticky. Uh, you know, the Amazon union vote uh, it, over a warehouse facility in Besmar, Besmer, Alabama. Um, you know, and they voted against forming a union. 
Now, you know, regardless of the players here, and obviously Amazon is a huge warehouse and logistics provider throughout the United States. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to look at this from the angle of what is the benefit and like, why is this such a big deal uh, inside the scope of the business of freight and logistics? Uh, unions, of course, had a very, have had a very long history in the United States. Uh, we have declined uh, significantly in terms of the um, percentage of the workforce that is unionized, uh, you know, over the last, you know, 40 years or so. Uh, the statistics that are, that were reported in um, Bloomberg uh, in a specific art article covering this, uh, you know, unions represent just 6.3% of the private sector workers down from 242 in 1973. So there has been a huge decline uh, in union unionization and, and, and that force and, you know, since, you know, that period of time and obviously since the early 1900s. Uh, and I think it's useful to kind of break down what's the purpose of a union? What role have they played? What role do they play? Have they kind of grown out? Have we kind of grown out of the need for unions? Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it kind of shows there's a few things that are kind of declining in popularity unions and another <clears throat> one pensions. I mean, when we're looking at today's marketplace, there's a few things that aren't as common as what we saw, you know, a few decades ago or maybe even a decade ago. And we're looking at things like even, for example, a pension. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's now going to be into 401ks and right. how do you roll that over? And so there's a lot more movement in today's, I think, uh, you know, workforce. Yeah, where you people... have, we have more options yeah. than ever before. I think unions were largely grown out of like this environment of the industrial revolution, right. where we had a lot of, I mean, my great grandmother worked in a mill in South Carolina, uh, you know, her fingers to the bone. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of options. You didn't have the mobility that you have today to, tr to move places. I mean, they were, think about this. My great grandmother was born in, you know, the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. They were just starting to get cars. Cars weren't like readily available. So to go to, you know, from Nashville to Chattanooga, that was a huge investment of time, effort, energy. You know, you had to spend weeks yeah. <laughs> doing this. Uh, now you can do it in a matter of hours. Right. And we can move up and we can transition our families and stuff so much easier now. Industry has grown out of this environment where you don't have a lot of options. You know, back then, you kind of grew up in an area and you were kind of sticky. You were stuck in that area. Uh, you had to specialize a lot more. Uh, I think that's where unions do have a, a purpose nowadays is in that specialized uh, space where you are having to commit basically your life <laughs> to a certain skill set. Uh, I think the, uh, the sports, you know, the sporting uh, industry <laughs> yeah. to sound older than I am uh, <laughs> is is actually a good use case for the uh, for the unionization because it is very much a commitment of your time and energy. Uh, yeah, okay, boomer, <laughs> and, and, and that uh, that you have to have some sort of security, some sort of stabilization in. You That's know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, and I think um, it, one of the things you're looking at unions, it creates a standardization, mm -hmm. and. There's the other part of me in my economic mind where I'm thinking, you know what? No, one size doesn't fit all. Everyone needs to have their best interests being played out. And so sometimes I'm just thinking when I'm looking at these unions, is this for the best interest of the individual or is it just for the group? What's best for the actual person themselves? And so it's not always a one size fits all. And as we're seeing today, a lot of people jumping around, you know, you're staying at a job for two, three years. You're going on not to just a new job, but maybe and sometimes an entirely new industry altogether. Yeah. Learned a new skill set. That wasn't a thing, like you said, back in the day, mm -hmm. you know, years ago, you kind of stayed in that lane that you, you carved out and you stayed there for 
20 plus years and that's where you knew you were going to retire at. That's not the case. And as a result, we'll see that unions aren't that prevalent anymore today. Yeah. And having been, you know, a part of an industry myself that has dealt with some level of, you know, people trying to get into or no debating the unionization in transportation, uh, there's still several unions operating in the, uh, you know, in the transportation and logistics industry and space. Uh, the retail uh, and wholesale industry is the one that was trying to get unionized here. Um, and or trying to increase their, you know, their membership base here. Now, if it's, you know, to a financial analyst like myself back in the day, unions would have been extremely troublesome. Uh, they would have created an extra layer of administration, bureaucracy, legal uh, fees, all sorts of other stuff. And that, that doesn't necessarily work out for the employee. In a lot of cases, you have all this other energy and time that has to be spent man maintaining another layer of administration. So in some of these larger companies, that layer of administration slows things down even further uh, because yeah. you have to go through extra levels of negotiation. It's no longer of, you know, a freight waves negotiating with Zach Strickland or, you know, Anthony Smith. They now have to go through an intermediary to, you know, to get to you. Yeah. And that you lose a little bit of, you know, you may gain a little bit of number or weight in terms of negotiating power, but you are also subject to what the group is also trying to get after. So you no longer, you lose a little bit of your self-interest in all of that as well. Yeah. And that's a big part. Mm -hmm. One thing that you mentioned that interests me mm -hmm. was the bureaucracy of, the fall, yeah. of it all. And the movements of just, you know, <laughs> processes. I, I hate processes. I hate orders of operations that yeah. you, I just want to get to it. What do we got to do? What's yeah. going to, what's going to be the end result? So that's going to be one thing that kind of slows things down. And those needs might be outdated by the time they're actually implemented when we see how quickly some of these unions might move. But Zach, we're almost halfway through. Way through. And we are just now getting through our first story. What's next? Story. Let's do the next one. So ever given, uh, basically the Suez Canal uh, container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal, the Ever Given, uh, essentially this came out that they're going through a process now where a lot of these containers are actually still stuck. The Egypt, the Egyptian government has seized the, Suez, uh, the Ever Given and are basically holding it hostage uh, for the to the price tag of roughly a billion dollars uh, in costs. And there's this this fascinated me, Anthony. I don't know if you you had time to look through this in detail, and I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Um, because I didn't know this existed, but there's an old shipping law that basically says anytime a container ship or ship is, you know, had to be freed by government or had some sort of disaster, the people that were responsible for the containers and the cargo are asked to foot part of the bill. <laughs> this is like, I can't even imagine what that would be like, uh, you know, in trucking or surface transportation, where the transportation provider went out and said, you know what, we messed up. Uh, could you pay us <laughs> for yeah. this? Yeah. But this is apparently a very accepted rule in, in container shipping. And we, I would love to hear Henry Byers' take on this. We need to get him back on. And I would as a love to hear. Yeah, I would love to point. hear Henry Byers. And it's just like this story keeps on going. It's yeah. like the ever given is ever giving. You know, it doesn't <laughs> it stop. I like that. That's clever. <laughs> just like Thanks the memes. To, shout out to Cody Mathis on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, and they're, they're having to go around, and this law of averages, uh, it basically, it doesn't matter how much your cargo was worth. Uh, the cost is spent, you know, is spread out evenly across everyone. 
So if you had some scrap metal, recyclables, you know, garbage that you had it on a container, you're paying the exact same amount per container as the person that had the electronics. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, that, this is just this whole thing to me is so outdated and antiquated now. But in, I, I guess people that you know are in this space regularly, and this is where I would love Henry Byers or Greg Miller or somebody else. You know, obviously our American Shipper team probably has a good perspective on it. Uh, to kind of add some more clarity on how this content like is actually a thing. Um, and because this freight too, and Lazy Boy was one of the few, uh, you know, companies that actually represented themselves as having some of this freight being held hostage. Uh, and it won't be let loose until they settle this. And they're saying that it could take two to three years. That's insane. To get all of this sorted out so that all of that cargo can get delivered. And they so would that cargo sit for two, three years? I don't know. They're basically asking the Egyptian government to um, release it ahead of time while they get the insurance company. Because you're talking talk about bureaucracy. Yeah. You've got multiple international governments, insurance companies, mul multiple corporations. I mean, hundreds. I mean, this sounds like <laughs> a complete cluster of disaster in terms of uh, whatever. It, the last quote of the article basically says, and this is on uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, I should reference. Uh, Ever given customers face new payments to get shipments moving. Uh, the ship will be released uh, because if the Egyptians want people to keep using the Suez Canal, they can't hold it for ransom. <laughs> the general <laughs> average process will take years to sort out in the biggest Excel sheet you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, just, <laughs> I mean... I don't want to manage that Excel sheet. I'm also thinking like whoever is working on this, mm -hmm. because it's a little bit somewhat unprecedented on this scale, mm -hmm. you, you kind of get the benefit of just saying, hey, yeah, this is going to take, I don't know, <laughs> X amount of hours per day. Like you, you might even start milking it at that point. So that's when I start getting skeptical. I'm like, you know what? Where's all this money going to? And so I can only imagine just the complete waste that is going to come from all of this. Yeah, this process needs some updating, I think. I think this one will probably inspire that, um, yeah. you know, some of these companies. Uh, the ship's owner, Japan's Shoi Kaisen Kaisha Limited, pardon my pronunciation, uh, <laughs> uh, is the one that is expected to settle these claims. Uh, and then, of course, Evergreen Marine Corp of Taiwan uh, is, the, uh, is the operator. Here. So the ship's owner. So this is how, how it goes. Like Evergreen is the company that is, you know, the operator, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the people that own the ship are different entities. <laughs> so that's, that's how far back this, this law goes. I think it's somewhere in the 1800s, uh, 1890, I believe, is when it was referenced as to begin having started uh, back when we were talking about frigates <laughs> and things of that nature. And we don't even, we didn't even know what a container ship was uh, at that point. But it's, you know, this is something that I think, you know, while this continuing disaster kind of unfolds, is it still continues to be so fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's an, it kind of keeps it a theme mm -hmm. of like old timiness, you know, like <laughs> we have these old outdated laws, we got unions, it's yep. just like... Well, we've got blue laws, you know, you talk about blue laws and that's what essentially this feels like a blue law that has a huge ramification. You know, you're talking about things that were made, you know, put in bill or local governments in like the 1700s that are still around because it just takes too much effort to repeal them. And they, right. nobody really even enforces them or brings them up, but this is one that they still do that with. Uh, so let's move on to the next one. So, you know, I think the supply chain, 
bottlenecks are not a big story in terms of like, this is news, but it is a continuing ongoing story and it's gonna be one for the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, and the semiconductor uh, problem is one that we've heard about significantly over and over and over again over the last several weeks. The automakers, Mike Bowden-Dissel last week on Freightonomics referenced it, uh, you know, as being, you know, this is going to impact freight mm -hmm. because if automakers have to pause the assembly process, they can't, sh they're not asking for f more inputs. Uh, and then of course they're not shipping those out as well. So it means, you know, this is going to, you know, impact all sorts of other tangential entities in the automotive manufacturing space, but not just them. We're talking about transportation and trucking as well. Uh, you know, OEMs, they also require those chips. Yeah. So the ongoing uh, capacity crunch in the trucking space it's just, this is part of the problem too, because most of the vehicles now are, do have some sort of smart capability. They have onboarding They're systems. Computers. They're all computers. Everything's <laughs> computerized now. Even Anthony Smith is a computer. I'm a computer. <laughs> uh, and, and Mike Bountendistel, uh, the you know, just wrote this piece on Freightways.com. He does this weekly newsletter called The Stockout. Uh, and he, and the, the article's cleverly named, uh, What Ketchup Packets and Semiconductors Have in Common? And he outlines uh, some of the things, you know, Obviously, ketchup packets are now going to be in shortage, yeah. <laughs> uh, along with the semiconductors. And there's all sorts of product, products and commodities like this. And you just wonder, and I wonder, Anthony Smith, how many of these products, you know, we all think about what we consume at the end of the result, the automotive, you know, the cars, the ketchup. <laughs> but what about the products that are going into the ketchup and the auto parts? I mean, this is, these are also things that are at risk and suppliers that are at risk, transportation providers that are also, you know, they, you know, their networks are getting disrupted by yeah. these intermittent disruptions to the supply chain. Yeah, and this is one of the areas that I was really kind of honing in on um, a couple months ago <clears throat> when we kept seeing that the ISM PMI prices mm -hmm. index, or component of it, kept remaining elevated and was so elevated because we saw that so many commodities were in short supply and, and it's just been across the board, whether mm -hmm. it was semiconductors, um, curgate boxes, of course, mm -hmm. thanks Amazon, <laughs> and we're looking across the board, whether it be wood products, um, uh, polymers, anything and everything, electrical components, all of that is in short supply, and that's creating this increase in pricing, but mm -hmm. it's also going to create shortages. So yeah. it's just wild to kind of see how it's going to manifest itself as it moves, moves further and further downstream. Yeah, and uh, there was an article on uh, FreightWaves.com, uh, I believe John Gallagher wrote it, uh, talking about, uh, you know, basically the trucking industry is saying, you know what, it, it's this, all of this stuff isn't going to matter because, you know, you're ordering more trucks. We're not going to be able to put them on the road. So I want to pull up a sonar chart of our class eight orders uh, by ACT research, uh, just to show what class eight equipment orders have done. This is of course the, uh, the tractors that are hauling your uh, big 53 foot, uh, you know, reefer and van uh, trailers across the United States orders spiking uh, at the end of last year. Now, what this means is these are just orders. This is the demand for the equipment. So some of it, we're coming off an extremely soft 2019. Everybody overbought, you know, equipment in 2018. <laughs> they went out, they bought a truck because the market was super hot. Uh, they decided to go invest in fleet, uh, you know, adding some to the fleet size as companies do. Uh, and then they were doing the same thing towards the end of the year last year. But these have a six to nine month cycle. And I was talking about this a little bit on midday market update yesterday. They're not going to hit, they don't at best chance in a normal environment when supply chains are moving smoothly, which this is not, that, would, that means that those tr uh, trucks that were ordered back in November, December, 
they're not getting here until June, July, August on a good year. And right. we're not in a good year. <laughs> right. Uh, so that means that this capacity crunch could persist. You know, this is just the equipment side, not the employment side, which we'll get to in just a second. So speaking about this, um, I think this is one of the questions I had for you last year was because, of course, we're kind of in the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we spoke about how the trucking industry is usually a little bit slower to react. And usually the pendulum swings and it's like a little bit too late. Then we get this burst of, you know, new trucks on the road, but we don't quite have that demand anymore. And then they all kind of, you know, go off, but now we need more. And so is this going to be one of those situations where it's just like, ah, oh, it's a little too late. We needed it like last year. Yeah, no, I mean, in general, the larger you are, the slower you are. I mean, that's just a law of physics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the larger providers tend to react a little bit more slowly because they have to go through layers of bureaucracy, as we've talked about <laughs> a little bit today. Uh, but also, like, you know, you have multiple, you, you have a higher risk right. exposure. If you do get into a market that is oversupplied, as the one in 2019 was, that means that you're going to have to get on a lot of quarterly calls that are very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you're struggling just to keep your trucks on the road. And since the market is so fragmented in trucking, you're talking about, you know, what, 92%, 93% of the trucking companies out there are have less than 20, 20 trucks <laughs> on the road. So that means that you have a lot of competitive units competing against each other. Uh, so if everybody buys a truck all at once, the water level rises quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and once these trucks hit the road, you know, obviously it's, there's need for it. But what about if demand slides out? <laughs> you know, that's what happened in 2019. We overstimulated the economy a little bit. We had tax cuts. We had hurricanes. We had ELD, you know, mania, yeah. <laughs> uh, things like that, that were that had everybody thinking, OK, the market is going to just persist at this level forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and it totally didn't. Uh, you know, demand was still high, but the supply side rose much faster. And this is the way it happens. If you remember that chart, that's a spike in orders. That wasn't mm -hmm. like this even distribution. You do not want to spike in anything. I don't care if it's positive or not. Uh, that's obviously one of the uh, arguments for our economic growth right now. Spikes are unsustainable. <laughs> They're very unhealthy <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of management because that means you're, it's very volatile. You have little wavelengths. You know, think about a rock hitting the water. You know, you've got something that it's very heavy and dense hitting the water all at once. You have ripples that go over time, and that's something that we'll probably continue to see in the trucking industry for years to come as we go through these ebbs and flows of supply and demand. Yeah, and I think that's very well said. It's like those spikes are going to be shocks to the system, mm -hmm. and they're going to have impacts. And so one of those impacts, not just with, so we're talking about the equipment side, but there's also been an employment impact as well. Yeah, and this is, this is right up your alley. This is why I wanted to finish on this topic. And you've talked about this, I don't know how long now. You have been <laughs> criticizing those employment numbers by the yes. BLS uh, so long, and I think they've even criticized their own numbers. <laughs> they did, they did. At this point. Um, Got to give them some props. There's so much noise in them. So using employment figures right now appears to be like really not, a good measure of the economy overall. And we're looking at trucking uh, employment right here. So the, uh, basically, you know, truck transportation, this is your back office workers as well as your drivers. Uh, and you can see here that we are nowhere near <laughs> the employment level that we were uh, before the pandemic. And that to me tells me that, you know, people haven't gone out and replaced their workers. But one of those headwinds is the fact that a lot of the workers aren't trying to get back into the work workspace. Yeah. And I, that was one of the areas that was really kind of honing in on during the pandemic because it kind of made sense with, you know, the discouraging of individuals to kind of go back to the workplace because you wanted to have that incentive like, mm -hmm. hey, 
stay out of the workplace, you know what will pay you additional cash on a weekly basis, whether it was originally $600 per week or something like that, yeah, um, <laughs> or on top of yeah. the existing benefits, and then the stimulus packages. And that was like an incentive to stay home. And we still see some people incentivized to stay home, or now it just comes from not even being incentivized as much as there's this fear. And so that's a deep, deep <laughs> issue when you're looking at trying to restart the, the economy. And as you mentioned, I don't look at the particular numbers at a very close level when we're looking mm -hmm. at these employment numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to look at just the direction. Right. Is the direction moving up or down? And looking at the different reports, whether it's the um, the Census Bureau, I'm not sorry, the Census Bureau, but um, uh, the Census Survey that we have right. up here, um, BLS, the initial jobs claims, looking at multiple reports from multiple different outlets, multiple different, multiple outlets. Right. <laughs> um, it's always good to have a few. Yes, <laughs> to show where they are pulling their numbers from and if these numbers are actually um, telling the similar story. And mm -hmm. when we're starting to see that three or four of them are showing that there is an increase in employment, that's a good sign, mm -hmm. but not getting too caught up in the actual numbers because we see revisions on a regular yep. basis. We see the initial jobs claims come up and down and then the previous uh, week's numbers get revised up 30,000 right. some uh, Americans that have been, uh, you know, applied for those uh, unemployment benefits. And so there's a lot to kind of poke at, but thankfully we're seeing that there's some positivity overall happening. And that's going to have some implications where we see, hey, do we keep on, you know, with these stimulus packages? Right. Is it going to be a state by state thing? Because, you know, a state opening up sooner is going to be able to kind of be a little bit more productive. And, you know, employment's going to be a lot more varied in that state and those industries compared to, you know, a state that's, you know, maybe still shut down. So New York and California compared to Texas and Tennessee. <laughs> and so right. we're going to see a lot more varying economies and employment markets or job markets um, as we look throughout the country. Yeah, especially when you're talking about industries. You know, there's certain states that are industry heavy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's going to be a very uneven recovery process for a lot of these industries, especially ones that rely more on service. Now, Florida is booming right now because everybody went down there. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the New Yorkers are down there right now. They've moved down. We've seen some of the uh, the flows of population. We're in Florida right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, our, our Crystal Lugo is is from Florida, so she's one of the few that has left the yeah. state <laughs> to come up to Tennessee. But, you know, as this is, I think that really at the bottom of this is, are these employers going to have consistent issues hiring people? We've heard about it consistently. Uh, we're not you know, out of the, the woods with the pandemic just yet. You know, we haven't eased all these restrictions, even though a lot of companies have gotten back to a decent flow of work at this point. Um, you know, drivers being hired right now, they, they can't hire them fast enough. It takes a long time to get a driver trained up when you're talking about a new driver. The experienced drivers have other options right now. They could go into work for themselves. So some of these larger carriers don't have the access that they used to to the you know because a lot of drivers get their start in these larger places mm -hmm. i got my start in a larger company uh you know you, that kind of tends to be the flow of how people kind of move from a large company they get a lot of experience training it's a great place to go uh, drivers are not much different in that regard where they move from the larger companies into the smaller companies and then maybe one day they show up as you know their own owner operator in control of their own destiny so right. That's going to have a long-running impact. I don't think, I mean, the stimulus package itself is going to keep some people out of the, uh, you know, 
application process, but do you think we're going to see this surge of people uh, just showing up one day and be like, oh, wait, I actually need a job now. My stimulus package ran out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, so that's the thing is like if the, tr the inflation numbers are going to start really starting to pick up now because mm -hmm. it was a little bit lower because uh, early on because there was that employment issue. Like mm -hmm. people were staying at home. They weren't producing. And I know we have our last minute here, but we're looking at what the U.S. is doing. The U.S. has opened up a lot more sooner with these vaccine efforts compared to the rest of the world. Now we are even consuming more. Mm -hmm. But with that, that's going to increase import prices because the rest of the world hasn't caught up just yet. And so that's going to increase some of these inflationary numbers and inflationary pressures. And it's not just moving from the assets because I know in the few weeks, I'm saying the inflation is in the assets right now, looking at stocks, looking at cryptocurrency, looking at housing. And now we're starting to see it actually hit the consumer at these, you know, at the gas pump and other areas like that. So, yeah, I think a lot going on. You're, you're doing a good thing because I think next week we're going to break down what happens with we're going to break down the spending bill. That's we're going to see. Let's see what's going on inside of that and what it, future implications it has for everybody, including the transportation market. So thank everybody for watching uh, so much. Download the Freightways TV app on podcast players everywhere. Look up Freightonomics or look up, look up Freightcasts and get every Freightwaves podcast available. Uh, again, thank you so much for watching this week. Anthony Smith, drink more water. Drink more water. <laughs> Shout out to the TV team. Emma, Aaron, Ethan, Frazier, Harrison, Jimmy. Giving them all.